welcome to The Finder of Lost Things, exploring your superpowers of trust, healing, and transformation with me, Hannah Belton. My brother, Christian, disappeared in Mali, Africa in 2003. He disappeared without a trace. We lost his story. We didn't have closure. We lost so much. I was fighting and searching to find Christian when actually I just needed to sit in stillness and attract him in. I was so resistant to doing this, but I had to surrender. It's a process of trusting and finding the lost pieces and and integrating them. This podcast will uncover the process that Christian and I went on to find the lost things, him, and to find the parts of me that were missing. And we were destined from the start to tell our story into the dark. For we were born to a great white shark. Hello. Welcome. Do come in as usual. Come in around the fire. We had actually um, summer solstice in the uh, northern hemisphere last night and I was around a fire with uh, with Nikki, uh, who was on the show a few episodes ago, and it was so beautiful. So I, I hope everybody uh, during the week, Matt, is feeling the sun energy and uh, really feeling like powerful. There's some powerful energy around at the moment. And I'm not going to talk too much. I've been told not to talk too much because I have an amazing guest to to welcome onto the show. So I met Sophia Christo. We haven't actually met in person at all. We've met online about, I guess, maybe a year ago. It was maybe more than that. And we immediately had this connection. It's not a connection that you particularly want to have with somebody, but we both had brothers in spirit. And uh, (laughs) so we sort of had a few conversations um, around around our our losses and and what we gained from from now having a brother in spirit um and i asked sophia she might like to come on the podcast back in january when we started the shows and she was a little bit hesitant so i think it's come to the point now something happened recently where we were kind of jogged to get in touch with each other about coming on the show again and thankfully she said yes this time so um I just want you to uh, to meet Sophia. So, hi, Sophia. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So lovely to have you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, we're finally oh. doing it. We're finally doing it. And hello, hi. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I feel like I, I actually put on, I don't know if you can see my necklace. I actually put on a bit of colour today because I thought, oh, as you can see, Sophia is an artist and uses such vibrant colours and she's so joyful and just lights up the screen wherever she is. So, um, so don't... I did notice it. suits you. You should do oh. it more. Oh, thank you. Well, I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so where do, you, where do you want to start? Because this is just going to be sort of a chat between, between friends. Um, so do you just want to tell us a bit about your brother, maybe, or something, or your colour? What about your love of colour, your sort of artistry and where yeah. you are with that at the moment? So so that's really, really interesting because I'm 42 now. Um, when I, I've always loved colour. Um, 
it's always been a big part of my life. I've always been quite confident with it and quite bold with it. It's only now I realise that it got so much um, of its own properties that, it, you know, colour can help um, balance out the energy in a room or, you know, of you as well when you, you know, when you wear certain items. Um, each, like, it's probably the reason why um, we feel so good after we've been for a walk in nature because of all the green, which promotes well-being, rejuvenation, love. So it's only now that I'm finding out the answers, but I've always been drawn to colour. Um, when I was um, a child, I remember, I didn't even possess a box of crayons, but whenever an elder, would, an adult, would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, artists would just drop out of my mouth automatically. I didn't even know where it came from myself, but that's what I wanted to do. And I think as time went on and people started frowning a little bit and their faces would scrunch up, I started thinking, mm, that's not a good answer. I need to make up one. Um, so I'll use one of their suggestions and they'd often say, what about doctor or lawyer? So I used, so I remember, I, used, I, I remember doing it. Uh, I must have been about six years old, and they'd be like, "So, what do you want to be when you grow up, Sophia?" And I'd go, um, "Artist and a lawyer." And they'd go, "Oh, lawyer, great, great, great." And this went on for a while, and eventually, artists got quieter and quieter because I realised it didn't get very good feedback. So I dropped that, started saying lawyer. I couldn't have done that either. That wasn't true to who I was, but I did join the police where I stayed for 14 years. And that's probably a whole other story. But um, it seems over the last, what, I'm 42 now, maybe the last three years, I picked up a paintbrush to um, thinking, well, it can't be so hard to find something that I like. It was for a room I, I was doing and I couldn't find anything in the shops. And as soon as I picked up the brush, um, and put that colour on the canvas, it was like magical. And um, mm. yeah, it was like, oh God, and all the memories from my youth came flooding back to me that actually, you know, I'm a self-confessed colour junkie. This is who I am. So, you know, um, I guess I've just got to keep on going with it. So yeah, but I don't do as much um, art as I'd like, but I also do like, um, digital prints, vibrant digital prints and um, colour in the home, balancing spaces and interiors and harmonising um, the, the, the area. Um, and then that filters through to the people that inhabit that space as well. So it's a win-win really. I get lots of joy from creating it and the people that reside there feel the uplifting energy of the colours and the, and the balance too, so yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say there's something there's something unseen going on, isn't there, when you're working? I know I'm just being told like there's it's it's a lot bigger than putting colour onto a canvas. There's there's energetic things that are going on. Magic is happening and it's obviously your gift that um, needed to come back into your life. Mm -hmm. So when you, like, we should talk about your childhood because I guess, you know, we, it, as so often happens in childhood, we are adapting to our situation and what is going on around us. And if we're getting frowns about things we're saying and, and you know, all these gifts get squashed so young. 
Um, but can you just sort of tell me a bit about your your family and your family background? Yeah, sure. So um, I was born in Manchester, stayed there till I was three, had my older brother, Zuby, who was already, um, he's four, he was four years old when I was born. Um, lived in Manchester with mum and dad till I was three, then we moved to Wales. Um, you'll have to excuse me, my candle's gone out and it's smoking everywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start coughing in a minute. If I do, that's why. Um, and we came over to um, Barry, South Wales, and I've been here um, all my life. Um, Mum's a quiet, gentle soul. Um, and um, she came over from Afghanistan with my dad when they were in their 20s. They married and then came here. Um, life wasn't that easy for her. And, you know, there was some domestic violence in the home. Um, it wasn't always a happy place. So I guess I was looking for things to uplift myself with. And who knows, maybe that's where the colour was born. Who knows? Um, I think my brother took quite the brunt of it because he was older. Um, and the automatic assumption from me, um, looking back now, is suddenly now I can look back and start joining all the dots. I couldn't at the time, was that I had him as my protector. So he made me feel um, safe in an environment that sometimes didn't. You know, my mum spent a lot of time in fear and she did ama an amazing job with three of us. My sister later came seven years after me. Um, she's awesome. Um, so she did what she could, um, but I guess was often in survival mode. Um, so we just made the best of it, you know, and through that we became quite close, but also quite mature with a fair bit of responsibility. Um, on our shoulders, I guess, to keep each other safe, to look out for mum, to see what mood, you know, dad was in when he came home, um, things like that. And it, it, it's just, they're just life circumstances. It happens like that sometimes, you know, we're not, we weren't on our own in that situation, but it does, um, I want to say mould, because I think everyone, everyone can change, everyone can shed layers we're like an onion aren't we we can just shed that shit excuse mm -hmm. my French but that's what I call it shedding the shit um <laughs> but um when we know how obviously um but um yeah it wasn't it wasn't easy so you know we had each other's backs um we he went through some some stuff growing up I wish I could speak to him about that again and maybe one day I will and just get to um, try to understand that a little bit more but um, he went through a phase when um, he was around 16 where I remember he went to Glastonbury and he was probably doing all sorts whilst he was there um, maybe that was his way of escaping he came back from Glaston Glastonbury and he wasn't quite the same person that went mm -hmm. so I don't know whether he maybe had an awakening or um, too much LSD or I'm not quite sure you know what it was um but after that he got diagnosed with um schizophrenia paranoid schizophrenia uh, he was hearing voices he was get, um, feeling quite down he was hallucinating not all the time and i'm not sure what triggered it but every now and then you know it'd be like he's drinking a cup of tea but there was no there was no tea 
having conversations with people that weren't there. So we spent quite a lot of time um, as a, um, sometimes as a visitor and sometimes as an inpatient at our, it's no longer here, but at our local, um, I'm not sure what they called them then, but I guess mental health hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, hang on. <laughs> um, he, mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd be a visitor there. Sometimes we'd think, oh, he's getting better and he's, he's doing good. And I'd have loads of regular conversation with him. He's always very caring and asking what I'm up to and who I'm hanging around with, who my friends are. And, oh, you know, he's always giving me little nuggets of advice. You know, they were on his good days, but on, on his days that weren't great, he wasn't, it's like he wasn't in the room. Um, he, he wasn't in the room. And that's when we'd get um, health services involved because that's what you're told to do aren't you go to the go to the GP go you know go to mm. med- medics know best and they, they do they know a lot but um, obviously in 2021 now we know there's a lot more um, there are different ways of approaching health and mental health and there's guidance for um, different situations not necessarily conditions but this was going back some time so I'm 42 he'd be 46 now and he was 20 at the time so some 26 years ago um he was um last seen meditating um before he um went missing whilst he was at hospital and um that was when he was 20 and he, um, his belongings, his clothes were found really tidy by, um, by the shore um, or on the grass actually before you get to, to the beach. Um, and he was then found a couple of days later on the beach and obviously he'd passed where he'd, be, where he'd been in the water. I, um, I knew that he wasn't gonna come back in the physical um, because I'd had a premonition um, 12 hours before whilst I was sleeping four o'clock in the morning on the Monday that all of a sudden through my dreaming or through my sleepy state I saw him very peaceful in his shorts face up laying on the beach with the sun shining down on his face so I I knew at that moment that that may have even been the time that he passed who knows right. But I knew that we wouldn't be um, having the news that my mum was obviously searching for and, and hoping and praying for. The following day at four o'clock then, um, an officer who we knew actually, was my friend's dad at the time, um, knocked the door and then gave us the news that, he, that he'd been found on the beach. I knew when the, the door knocked that I had to brace myself because it was really weird, but I knew what was coming. So, I, and it was that moment that I went into, um, I think I went into full on protector mode. So I made a decision that day that I needed to now step up and be the protector for everyone that I'd, I'd had and I portrayed my brother as the responsible when the protector, I was, I was like, oh, Dan, 
I need to get into this role now, don't I? It's on me, it's all on me. And that's the story I told myself at 16. Um, and that's then what I went straight into. I think I definitely shed some tears at the funeral and a few other times, um, but not near as many <laughs> as I should have because I stuffed it down. Because I was, I was, I was, I was too busy looking after everyone else, and because that's the role I guess I applied to myself. That I need. Yeah. To did do. did anybody offer you any any help at all, or? Uh, um, um, friends, um, friends were there for me, um, but in relation to um, no, I think what we got. It was quite sad, really. Um, and I think this might have been where I lost a little bit of faith in people as well um, and authorities was when the nurse came around to visit my mum a few days after. Um, and um, I think I may have gotten really brave and asked her because he'd been, they'd asked him to stay in. He wanted to come home and they'd said no. Um, and my mum had asked why, and they said, because we want to keep a really close eye on him at the moment. Um, so he disappeared when, uh, well, they said it was when shift, there was, um, I can't remember what they call it, but it's when they swap over shifts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and he kind of went around that time. Um, so yeah, he slipped their eye, maybe people were busy, but they definitely weren't, uh, it doesn't matter now, you know, what was meant to happen happened, but um, there was no close eye being kept, I guess, at the time. And one of the nurses came round and I asked her why couldn't he come home? Um, obviously you, when something so sudden happens and so you're so grief stricken, immediately you look externally for all the answers and who you can blame and who was responsible and he would still be here now if if they kept an eye on him if they did what they said they were going to do it's only when you mature and start opening and looking at life that you know that absolutely well this is the experience for me obviously this is all my experience I'm not speaking for everyone but everything happens for a reason and I guess it's our our duty to go and look for that and, and find and find what that is, you know. It's not our fault that these things have happened. Um, but it is absolutely up to us to um find our own peace, you know, and find our find our own way, I guess. So um, yeah, what what going back to the nurse, um, unfortunately, I think I, I asked her, you know, why didn't you? You wanted you wouldn't let him home because you wanted to pay close attention to. So we trusted you, and he's not here now because no one was paying you know close attention to him. And her words were, "Well, you know what? He could have come home and got hit by a bus crossing the road." So, so yeah, I think at that moment, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I got up and left the conversation then because I couldn't stick around for it. I was a very angry sixteen year old at this point, but. Um, I think that might have been the, a, a, another addition as to why I felt, well, I need to do this myself then. I need to be responsible because nobody else is. <laughs> yeah. And how did you feel towards your brother at that point? 
Cool. I haven't really thought about that, Han. Um, hmm. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I'm not sure. Um, it all just felt, I just remember it all feeling very wrong, very wrong. I felt like he'd been wronged, we'd been wronged, um, we'd been, are you okay? Yeah, no, I just got a big chill there. And, <laughs> um, you know, we'd been robbed, I'd been robbed of my older brother and, and I guess I felt like um, whatever was left of my childhood, even though it hadn't been amazing, um, was now gone. Everything was dis dissolved and it was time to, yeah, step into um, adulthood. So I definitely lost, I lost a, a big part of me around there, but I, like I said to you, I just stuffed it down literally till I was 40. <laughs> <laughs> and then it came up and bit me in the ass. Um, <laughs> so what did you kind of do between uh, the time where you sort of stuffed it all down? What what kind of life choices did you make? And like, were they good life choices? <laughs> right. Um, life choices. So for, for around about 16 to 17 and a half, I was a bit of a rebel. Um, I stopped believing in... Uh, my faith went, whatever faith I had, whatever I held in my heart, it kind of went and I got angry. Not, uh, I don't remember going around fighting or um, causing issues. I don't know, my friends from, from those days might say otherwise, but I definitely had a lot of pent up anger, feeling very wronged, justice hadn't been served. And I guess that would have, um, come out in different ways, you know. Um, I kind of flunked school, couldn't be bothered, went to college, um, did a few odd jobs. And then something happened around the time when I was about um, 18. So it was about about 18, 18 to 20 months off the rails, um, not making great choices actually, but we won't delve into them right now. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I knew that there was more to life and um, my boyfriend at the time, now husband of 18 years, um, mm. bless him, um, was, um, supported me all the way. I joined the police. I needed a challenge. I knew there was more to me. So I joined the, I joined the police force. And I guess that kind of ticked two of the boxes. That was like, that's kind of the lawyer I told everyone I was going to be. So that's kind of that then. And also I can protect, I can protect others. I can protect because I'm a protector and I was really, really good at that. So I carried that on for about 14 years. Um, Did you know you were, were you happy in the police? Were you? For the, yeah, for the majority of the time, um, it's where I needed to be. It's where I wanted to be. Um, I felt, um, I think I felt really lucky to be there because when I dropped, around the, around the time where I dropped telling everyone that I wanted to be an artist and kept it quiet, I also decided that I've got no good ideas. Ideas aren't, I, 
people like me don't have good ideas. I don't know where I picked that, that, and I carried that with me. So I almost felt blessed that I got in, even though I did all the hard work and I deserved it. It was a real massive accomplishment for me because I never thought I could. I didn't have much self-belief. So I needed to be in the police force for the whole time that I was there. The last couple of years, um, last year in particular, 18 months wasn't great. And I made my decision then to um, to leave. Um, but the, you know, everything had to happen exactly the way it happened to get me to the point that I am now. It and I pick. I learned so many skills. I had so many heartwarming experiences, and I met so many kick-ass people as well. But I also saw a different side amongst mm. people. And I also got a very strong message. God, these premonitions pop up quite often, come to think about it. Um, so I had a um, dream, premonition, message, download mm -hmm. um, one night where I wasn't in a great place um, mentally. I felt um, it was like a breakup. It was like a difficult breakup leaving, leaving the force. That's what it felt like to me. Um, and I had had a dream um, featuring a few of um, my colleagues at the time and I'd woken up crying and I had my finger like uh, on, like uh, by my boob, woke up four o'clock in the morning with my finger by my boob, not something I do regularly. Um, but what I felt there was a lump. <laughs> what I felt there was a lump and I was like, oh, oh, hang on a minute. What's this? So um, spoke to my husband in the morning. We had the boys then, so uh, my two boys, uh, our two boys. And I said, let's not say anything because I'm sure this is fine, but we paid privately. We're blessed to be able to be in a position to do that. And within 48 hours, I went to the um, clinic, the private clinic, and I was checked out. And it was, um, it was just breast tissue. And I was really lucky. My mum suffered with breast cancer. So the alarm bells were ringing, you know, when I found the lump, but it wasn't. And I took that at that moment as a very, very strong message. Considering what I was seeing in my sleep before I found the lump, I connected the dots. And it was quite clear to me that if I was to stay in the position that I was in, I was going to become severely ill. So that, yeah. so I left. I got a tattoo live life without regret, time is precious because you're not allowed to have new tattoos in uh, where, where I was. And that kind of sealed the deal for me that it was time to go. So, that, so that's what I did. Oh, so you took all your guidance and all, all your intuition, you were listening to it all along. All along. Yeah. All along. And interesting, and just a point about meeting your husband quite early on, like it's almost I had the same with with my husband you're sort of you lose a brother but you're then given the life yeah. partner I guess in in a sort of return in return <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you thought about it before but that's what happened with uh with myself that's interesting isn't it um yeah it was quite soon after I guess um I don't know maybe I was looking for someone to look after me and that's because he certainly does and, and and that's you know and that's um who I attracted in you know he's very loving very caring 
puts us all first before himself, which he usually gets a row about from me because um, I'm trying to convince him for going to go for regular massages for his back rather than wait for his back to go uh, before he does it. Yeah, he's not great at look, putting himself first, so I'm trying to work on that <laughs> with him. But yeah, no, he. Um, yeah, he's been. Uh, he's been. He's. He's a quite. He's not. He's not like me. He's not a chatterbox. He has his moments, but he. Um, he's a very strong, you know, um, backbone for me. He's one of those, like gentle, quiet types who you know's always got you. So yeah, maybe maybe I was seeking him out <laughs> mm -hmm. all along. All along, yeah. So we should probably st skip forward now to the the sort of awakening you had. Does that kind of fit in with the timeline of things that you wanted to talk about? I, I guess so. I get yeah, I guess so. So, um, I left the police force, and I would I, I would have been really happy to stack shelves. I just wanted to get my my bumps and my my um personality back i'd been feeling a little bit lost um and to fast forward um me and a friend of mine um and a best friend of mine at the time who was also my sergeant my ins and my inspector in different roles who's an awesome guy he kind of hooked me up with his wife we opened up a coffee shop by the beach. I had told myself, God, I tell a lot of stories. We all do that. We make up stories about ourselves and make it our reality, but it's actually BS. So I told myself that I'd never be a leader and I wouldn't be good at that. That's not for people like me. And then mm -hmm. I became a leader um, with Elena. We chose um, our team. We converted an old lifeguard station into a lovely, lovely venue really it's quite popular um on on barry island in gavin and stacy land and um yeah we both um she loved coffee i love food we kind of figured that it can't be that hard for two nice people to set up a business and build it and they'll come and and they did <laughs> and that was six years ago so that's still that's still going strong um around about two to three years in uh we both started having a little bit more time in our hands we put in so much hard work we had everything running the way that um we would like we've got a most amazing manager and she wanted more responsibility so we stepped back so what actually happened in that time i think for the first time in decades was i had space <laughs> Mm -hmm, the old space <laughs> that old chestnut so I oh. have formed some space around me and space within me so with that comes itchy feet and fingers that go like this and it's like what can I do what can I do what can I do so I kept asking a question who can I help who can I help life is good my family are healthy um, I know I'm not just here to celebrate Christmas and birthdays. There's more, there's more, there's more. Who can I help? How can I help? And I'm not sure how many times I asked that question, but it was whizzing round all day, every day for a little while. And then through my business, um, 
a lady, um, <laughs> it's funny calling her a lady because she's now a very, very close friend of mine, like a sister, um, but a lady, Kelly, um, she came through and wanted to book a birthday and she wanted to celebrate um, friendship. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. On her birthday, she wants to celebrate her friendships at my coffee shop. So I did all the food. They had some lovely, um, like, delicatessen type, um, you know, um, buffet. And at that moment, she claimed me as her friend because she made me get up and give a, give a speech about my best friends. So she put me on the spot. She called me out and she had me in tears and I hardly knew her. From then, we knew that we were meant to um, meet each other. We were meant to get to know each other and do some stuff in life together. We just knew. I'd never had um, a meeting like that before, but it just felt like I'd known her for so long already, yet we'd only just met. And mm -hmm. we spent the next month or so um, like we were catching up and bringing each other up to speed on our 40 years. It was really surreal. Kelly's still in my life now. She, she always will be. I think that we, our souls, knew each other long before we did. <laughs> that's what mm -hmm. it feels like. But there's something about Kels that's quite significant. She introduced, well, very significant to this, really, and shows what my brother's been up to all this time, um, if only I paid attention. So she introduced me to two of her very close friends and said, I'd really like you to meet my other friends and I want you to come to um, our barbecue on Sunday, all of you. So spoke to hubby, he was like, yeah, let's, yeah, nothing on, let's go. So I said, brilliant, Cal, we're all in, where do you live? She then went on to describe the apartments that used to be the old hospital where my brother was actually staying from time to time and where he was last and last wow. seen alive. And I didn't look in the mirror, but I could feel <laughs> the color draining from my face. And I was like, um, okay, are you shitting me, Cal? Is this? And she was like, sorry, I no, what we, we all live here, all three of us, we've all got apartments here. I said, of course you have. <laughs> and she said, well, what's wrong? And I said, nothing's wrong. We'll be there, but it's a place I've avoided all my life. It's the beach where my brother went into the water and, and, and was found. And she, and she was amazing. She was like, I'll guide you through it. We'll walk the path first. And I was like, thank you, we're coming. And, you know, I honestly think he, uh, well, I mean, you couldn't get more obvious than that really, could you? So I, I don't I don't need, I'm not questioning it, but it was just mind blowing how obvious that was that he had brought Kelly to me and mm -hmm. the other girls to me. And it took me to where he was last and now I can visit there. We had a beautiful afternoon, the sunset was stunning, we had great connection, a good laugh and food and I now don't associate the beach with anything else but beauty, you know. So he was the catalyst for the start of what followed after that. 
And I think what followed after that was six months of full on looking inwards and asking questions, being curious, making space, allowing myself to be still, saying no to things that I didn't want to do, um, saying yes to more of what I wanted to do. Um, and and um, and learning really. Um, I, I went for Reiki and then I became attuned to Reiki because I, I loved how it made me feel. I loved the inner space. I felt so floaty and like um, I had so much more capacity all of a sudden, you know, like all all the old um, all the old used up energy had, had been fleshed out my system. So I thought, well, I'm going to train up in this. So I do that for family and friends now every now and then I should do it more really because it's quite amazing so and then I learned how to meditate I don't do it as much um I don't do it often but just knowing all these ways I'd never looked inward before in my life I didn't know what it was for I think it took me three decades at least to actually make the connection that our mind and body are actually connected you know I was I was disconnected from that um, way of thinking I guess because you only know what you know <laughs> and then when you know better you do better you know that's um, that's kind of how it works you do your best and then when you know better you you do even better and yeah. so and so forth so did you um, did you ever have um, a connection with Zuby that you could uh, did you how did that sort of develop because I know you do have a connection now how, do, how can you talk me through kind of like how that developed as well um, I guess so I think the more open I became to um dropping down from my head and into my heart um the more aware I was of different messages, signs, music coming on through the radio, my playlist shuffling to songs that I couldn't listen to before because they mm. would break my heart. But now I'm singing along in the car, to, you know, the car to them at the top of my voice and just feeling his presence and just having this knowing that he's absolutely around. So I think trusting, um, once I'd met Cal's, I started um, something she triggered, she was a massive catalyst for, me, catalyst for me. And it triggered so much more, so many more opportunities and open, literally opened my eyes and my ears to a lot more that's around me. And I started seeing things in a different way. Mm -hmm. And as I did that, I was very much more aware of little, you know, little signs and then very obvious signs. I've never actually seen, um, seen Zub, only in my dreams. Um, and I felt him, um, I felt him very much around me. But I think the, after the six months of looking in, you know, like it was like, um, 
it was almost like um, a crash course in awakening. It was like really intense, really heavy. It was like, it was almost like someone was saying, come on girl, you've got a lot of catching up to do. Read that, read that, see them, hear that, listen to that. And it was like, blah, 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 blah. it was like quite a bit of a whirlwind. It's like, I needed to get up to speed. Like um, that's the only way I can describe it. Oh. And I just went with it. Is that sounding familiar? Yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> And then after that, it's like once I'd gotten all the tools and the toolkits and the um, practices I needed, then I dropped. <laughs> I literally went and literally just like dropped, um, felt very, very strange, like... Um, didn't feel myself and I was like okay what's what's going on here now what had happened before that um of course at this point I still suppressed all my grief <laughs> it hadn't come out yet because mm -hmm. as far as I was concerned I'd done a really good job of dodging it and it wasn't going to find me it's like do you know when you're a child and you you play and hide and seek so you cover your eyes because mm -hmm. if you cover your eyes, no one will see you. But to you, mm. it feels like, mm, yeah. To you, you feel like you're hidden, but you really are not. You are just stood there and it's going to happen. They're going to find you anytime. Mm. So I guess grief found me. Grief found me, caught up with me. And i gone on a course six months prior. And I'd given up smoking, which really helped me suppress everything for some 26 years. So I'd given up smoking after that course. And during that course, there was an exercise on fear. And I remember sitting there going, yeah, I haven't got any. I got no fear. I do zip wires. I do roller coasters. Like I'll give anything a go. I've got no fear. So I closed my eyes and did it anyway, uh, just in case. And I see a lot of colors. If I'm in like an meditating or having Reiki, when I close my eyes, um, I see the most beautiful, vibrant colors swirling round, a bit of a lava lamp, snowflake type effect. I, I, I'll try and paint it one day, but it's not that simple. And they're just the most, most stunning colors. During this exercise, there was a bright electric Blue. Funny enough, there's a lot of those bioluminescent plankton around at the moment, that type of electric blue, but really, um, really um, vibrant and really electric. So I saw that throughout the exercise. So I just observed that instead, because, of course, I had nothing to be scared of and there was nothing coming up for me. So I thought I'll just enjoy the colours and um, and then, yeah, so everyone came round. It only it's only about five, six minutes and people were talking about their experiences and I was just listening. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing for you. And as I got up to leave the course when it was time, um, when, when the course had come to an end, there was this overwhelming sense of sorrow and the floodgates opened and I just started sobbing uncontrollably you know, when you can't control your nose and you've got no tissue and it was just one of those, the floodgates, whatever happened on that exercise <laughs> mm -hmm. opened up 
whatever it was that I was harboring in my body, um, in my heart, um, yeah, whatever was going through my system that needed to come out, came out and I sobbed uncontrollably. I went to speak to one of the coaches because it just wouldn't stop. Um, and some of my friends on the course were like, no, don't leave without, don't leave without speaking to them. You, something's going on here with your nervous system. This seems like a big blow. So I had to chat with them. And within, uh, within five minutes, we went through a method and I felt so much better already. You know, the, the tears stopped. But that was followed up by um, six months later, um, receiving a message, I only remembered this this morning, receiving a message that um, someone's little one had passed. Um, I don't wanna to be too graphic about it, but um, they had drowned. And I remember being told that message and feeling this like, like time had stopped as I heard the words and it was drowned time stopped everything went still um I haven't seen the matrix yet and I know I need to see it but it was I imagine it was a bit like that you know I was the only one moving and everything else was still and it hit me quite deep it would hit anyone quite deep but there was definitely something going on in my body at that point when I heard the word drowning, of course, that's how my brother died. Within 48 hours, I was physically ill. So um, I'm not quite sure what that message did or what that triggered, but my iron hit rock bottom. Um, I later found out I was very low, very low vitamin D and B12 all of which are vital for moods. So yeah, everyone get your levels checked. Uh, vital for moods, um, um, you know, I was fatigued, that would have been the iron. I couldn't stay awake for more than two hours. No pain, thank, thankfully, um, but also had quite a big, um, quite a big bleed as well. Um, obviously went to get checked out and that is literally when, that is when my real healing journey, I believe, began. Because it was like everything was released. So at the same time, my mental health, I would say suffered, it changed. It changed for a while and it changed me for a while. I became quite withdrawn. Um, I isolated myself from others I luckily spoke to my husband and my boys about what was going on for me and not to worry because I would get to the bottom of it but something was going on for me and I, I couldn't I didn't I didn't want too much responsibility because all of a sudden all that responsibility that I was able to juggle like twizzle on a plate with one hand all of a sudden I couldn't balance a thing I could only just um, look after my kids and maybe cook us a meal. Just us though. So it was like I could, it's like I honed in to home, comfort, warmth, 
just nourished us and I couldn't do for anyone. I couldn't physically or mentally do for anybody else. Looking back now, I was grieving. I was finally, finally um, grieving. So that went on all in all. Um, the intense, the intense period was probably for about six months. Um, in that time, I did some art when I felt good. So it's definitely been like a therapy for me as well. Absolutely. It's definitely helped heal. Um, I um, was very gentle on myself. I put myself first. Mm -hmm. um, if you do it often enough, it becomes a habit, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult at the beginning, but once you hit rock bottom, you realize you don't ever want to feel like that again. And you'll do everything in your power to keep yourself optimum. Not just balance, not just treading water. Like I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to just tread water. I want to thrive. Mm. We should all be thriving. You know, I want to feel optimum. I want to feel my best every single day, whatever that looks like, <laughs> mm. and do my best every single day. I don't know if you know about the four agreements, Hannah. If you um I have, yes. Agreements? So I they have, were yeah. really helpful. Um, so I, you know, I was during that time, I think I was just really careful about what I consumed in so many different ways, um, including um I want to say, I want to say what I ate, but I, I'd be fibbing to be honest with you. I'm not great with food. That's something I need to work on. <laughs> but like all of a sudden, I was forced to reconnect with nature. When I was having down days, my sister would recognize and go, coming for a walk. And I started, I, 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 I disconnected with nature the same way I disconnected with um, art. I had chopped off the things that I guess had been you know, just life takes over, you get busy, kids, family, business, and all the things that are actually not just luxury, they're not luxuries, they're vital for our well-being. And I know now, so mm -hmm. I reconnected with nature, I got my um, iron levels up, my vitamin D levels up, B12, I finally got hold of the naturopath that I was trying to see for a year, an amazing guy. Um, and took different supplements and had some um, acupuncture, um, booked in for Reiki. So I started nourishing my, my, um, myself and then slowly, slowly my cup began to fill up. Um, the people that um, were in my life and appearing in my life were those who I absolutely needed. <laughs> you know when you're when you're when you're aware of it you start noticing who's coming in and who's going out and it's all okay it's just flow you know mm -hmm. um like they say it's better to go with the flow than try and swim against the river just go with it go with the flow um and mm -hmm. I started rebalancing and realizing that I needed to go through all of that period and I was pushed to go through that mm -hmm. in order to heal and transform myself and it was all my brother's doing so cheers for that bro 
Yeah, absolutely. Like they're, you know, they sit around up there waiting just till the right time. And until you give in as well, there's that like sort of, okay, I admit it. I need, I need to get rid of this grief. And, and, and it's, it's wonderful that they are there willing us on and plonking people right in the, in our path. So we can't, we can't say no to it. Um, so what about the art now is that do you feel him because so, yeah. um, there was a reason you came on this show apart from anything else um do you feel his influence in your art now and you know how do you carry him forward so, so talking about attracting um attracting certain people um i um have really connected with Kelly and still obviously um and four other women um and oh, since last November as I was finishing coming out of um my grief I guess and what you know I medics would describe it as imbalance hormonal imbalance there was definitely some of that it can be overlooked, absolutely, definitely. But also, um, you know, there is a whole process. There is a whole grieving process that I guess you need to go through in order to come out the other side. I think we, we've been through it. We've now seen it. And now it's only now that this is why I'm not so succinct about it. It's because it's only now I'm starting to connect the dots and look back and go, oh that's what was happening mm -hmm. so there was like a natural I don't want to say end because it's not the end it's only just the beginning but there was a natural conclusion to the grief and um the the healing process when I was on a call with these five amazing women who we've all bonded um and formed a you know a beautiful sisterhood if you like um, despite only some of us not even knowing each other for more than six months. Um, it's such a nurturing, and I advise anyone that, you know, is going through difficult times to find your tribe. Um, we're not supposed to do this stuff on our own. <laughs> it's hard mm. to do this stuff on our own. So find those people that you trust and you can confide in, who you can be with, that hold a space for you, really listen to you and don't um, hold judgment um, because these are the people that can help you go from the caterpillar to the butterfly so much smoother um, than when you try going out alone. Because it's really easy to think you're nuts. It's mm -hmm. really, really easy to think you're nuts and get yourself checked in. I don't want to think about how many people already do that when really we just need some space, some love, some some nurturing and, you know, alternative practices to nourish us, I guess, you know, and a bit of fun and laughter because that was the first thing I noticed disappeared from my life. That's when I knew that I wasn't right. So the natural conclusion was after a call with these um this my amazing tribe. And one of my friends picked up a guitar and she started strumming a Pink Floyd tune. And again, my brother used to listen to Pink Floyd all the time. I'd stopped 
I'd stopped listening to it. Well, after the call, it was such a warm, glowy feeling in my creation station, my little woman den, that's where I am now. I put on the playlist of all the Pink Floyd essentials. I opened my Mac and what I started doing for the first time was creating uplifting, motivational um, quotes onto vibrant backgrounds. And um, before I knew it, I had a whole catalog of them. Felt such a connection to Zoob right then. It was almost like he was gifting me. So the first, the first prints I did were some of the quotes from his favorite Pink Floyd songs. So shine on you crazy diamond and I wish you were here. And then mm -hmm. as a result, I opened up a little Etsy shop and um, you know, so do what we've got to, we've literally going to run out of time any second now. Do you just want to give people your, your Etsy shop so that people can go and see your, see your yeah. work? Oh, come, well, well, that was the beautiful ending anyway. Come and check <laughs> me out, Sophia Christou Arts. Um, that's my name on Etsy as well. That's me on Insta and Facebook. And yeah, connect with me. I, I, I'd love to hear from you. And thank Aww. you so much for having me, Han. I am so, so happy that you, you came. And um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And it's been a real pleasure. And I, you know, your art will continue to be like something that's going to grow and grow. I can feel it. I can feel it. It's going to bring so much joy to people. Um, so thank you so much, Sophia, and for joining and for giving us all your nuggets that um, you've learned along the way. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Take Lovely. Thank you so much. And we'll, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Finder of Lost Things. I think we've been triggered so long and so hard by COVID and it's going to carry on. People are getting used to, to stillness and they're getting used to um, more solitude. But how do you use that time for the highest good? This process that we're going to explore will bring back the joy and purpose to life. That wholeness, you know, that sort of harmony and flow and togetherness. People are really ready to find their lost parts now. You can find me at hannahvelton.online. Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio.